When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coffee and cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Oh, my mom's everything. I love her to death. Uh, and right now, I think she's kind of cheering for the Eagles because of her grand- grandkids. But um, it's all right. We're, I know. I know. I know where her heart is. It's very cool. It's very cool, and it's it's an honor to be able to carry that torch. You know, I always told myself I wanted to blaze those trails and potentially create new ones. So have a lot of respect for all of them. You heard from Travis Kelsey. You heard from Jalen Hurts, two of the big impact guys at this year's Super Bowl. Coffee and cream in the morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency. We are live from the H&H Chevrolet stage at Hale Varsity Club. He's Damon Benning. I'm Andrew Rogers. And now let's welcome in our first guest of the segment. He's a Chiefs analyst for The Athletic, Seth Kaiser. Seth, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing today? Good, Seth. Good, good, good. Hey, it must uh, it must feel pretty nice to know that a team that you're covering has uh, had the success that they've had in recent years, making trips to the Super Bowl, winning at least one Super Bowl in that time, and now they're back again in a year that many thought wasn't going to be their year. Uh, what has it been like covering this Chiefs team this year in particular? It has been... A very, very fun time to cover the Chiefs. Um, I started covering them probably, I think it was about 2011. And so I I went through the 2012 season where they were clearly the worst team in football. And so this is different. Um, It's been a lot of fun. It it ends up being a lot longer throughout the year because you end up with an extra month every single year as they play multiple extra games. And this year in particular, you kind of alluded to the expectations that people had. And it's been really interesting watching them evolve and adapt and kind of enter this new phase of the Mahomes era and doing it so seamlessly that they end up in the Super Bowl in a year that's supposed to be a retooling one. Yeah, it's interesting. Let me ask you something, Seth, because you're close to this deal, and I feel like they're two separate things, but maybe they're not. Can I talk about the greatness of the Kansas City Chiefs and talk about Patrick Mahomes and separate it from what Veach and company, and I know Mahomes is part of the draft, so that's where it gets a little convoluted. But I mean, there's some Carlothis, there's some Gays, there's some Nick Boltons, there's the managing of the cap. Can I talk about the Chiefs' rise to always being on the precipice of playing for Super Bowls and separate the front office from Patrick Mahomes' brilliance? I think you can a little bit at this point. I think it was hard for people to do that before the last couple of years. Um, especially because a lot of the blue-chip players they had when they won it in 2019 were considered, you know, from the former regime. Uh, And so one thing that this particular front office has done is after the 2018 season ended with obviously kind of a disastrous defense and, you know, lining up offside, you don't make the Super Bowl, they had to completely revamp the defense to go from terrible to at least passable. Mm -hmm. Right. And then 
after they won the Super Bowl and, you know, they tried to run it back and then they obviously had a bunch of injuries to the offensive line, they had to completely revamp the offensive line. And then this year they had to once again completely revamp the defense as guys aged out, contracts got bad, et cetera. And so they've really had to create multiple iterations of the team around Patrick Mahomes. The, the roster now is very different than the roster from 2019 and 2020. So I think it's entirely appropriate to talk about the general manager and the job Brett Beach has done in bringing in new, fresh talent um, through all avenues, not just the draft, although he's crushed the last couple drafts, yes. but also you know, bringing in you know, a few more high-end free agents and then also bringing in, you know, churning through veterans like a Carlos Dunlap type guy who plays a niche role but a valuable one. And that's where I think it's really appropriate to separate the two because you need that even around a great quarterback. Turn your attention here, Seth, to the coaching staff, in particular Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. You know, the Super Bowl is where we see the gutsiest play calls come out. We've seen coaches take risks all the time when it comes to play calling. With how much film guys watch leading up to the Super Bowl and knowing how unique the Chiefs are when they call plays on offense, do you think they'll get creative here or do you think they'll stick to what they know works? I think you're going to see a combination of both. Um, you know, Andy Reid generally tends to be kind of a combination of both. He changes things up more on a macro scale in the off season, and then throughout the course of the year, it's kind of a slow evolution based on the personnel they have. And so he's not necessarily a game-to-game guy. It just varies. Um, you, you see little things. They do what they do but they alter what they do because they do so many things, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a combination of both. He's going to do what he does, but what he does, because his playbook is so vast, it varies depending on matchup. So say, for example, here with the really great pass rush of the Eagles, I expect to see some of the things that he usually does to try to slow down a pass rush with some of the screens to try to take advantage of that linebacker group, some of the jet sweep stuff, some RPOs, just to really cause the pass rushers to get in their own heads and hesitate. Yeah, it's interesting. So that's the game within the game for me, Seth. Total football junkie being a coach. Like Spags, you know, going against Sirianni, it's almost like a mirror version because Kansas City's RPO game is pretty filthy. But it's not to be outdone by what Philly does with their RPO game, stressing those flat defenders too. Is there some, oh, I don't know, Comfort's too strong of a word. Is there some ease in familiarity with how the RPO game works when Spags is trying to look at what to do against the Eagles? I think where the familiarity might be for Spags is just how long he's been doing this. Um, obviously, it helps having Andy on the opposite side to where you know you you know how your offense works, yeah. and so you know some of the rules with RPOs in general. But I think the advantage there really is the fact that Steve Spagnuolo's been doing this for decades. And so there really isn't a lot of genuinely new stuff in football. It's, it's recycled from either the pro level or the high school level or the college level. And once you've been do around long enough, you see things kind of cycle back and forth. Like, you know, this year is the return of the power running back, right? And the power rush attack as defense have got, defenses have gotten lighter and lighter over the last few years to deal with the passing game. So 
I, I think that's where the advantage is. Uh, but obviously, practicing against some of that stuff every day, your defenses, your 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 players, they see a little more of it. Now, the way the Chiefs operate RPOs, and you kind of alluded to this, is pretty different than how the Eagles do it. They're a lot more likely to hit the R on that, <laughs> and that's because their offensive line is so good. But I, I do think there's an advantage there, both in Spagnolo's experience and their players having dealt with it. We're talking to Seth Kaiser, at RealMN Chiefs fan on Twitter. He's the Chiefs analyst for The Athletic. Seth, keep it with the defense here because we've seen a lot of storylines come out about Frank Clark and how he stepped up and Chris Jones. And then we talked already about what the front office has been able to do and they get a guy like Carl Loftus out of the draft. Um, In a year that people didn't have very high expectation for the Chiefs defense, how would you say they grade up there with the best in football this year? I would put the Chiefs defense with where they're at right now. Is there, they're about an average defense, maybe a little above average. And there's a lot of variance to them because they are starting so many young guys. And one of the things with rookies is that variance. You just, you, you know, with like with an average player, you usually don't have them just play average all the time, right? They, they're either playing a little above or a little below or way above or way below. And that's where I think you see that kind of on a game-by-game basis with the Chiefs. You're going to see a little bit of inconsistency. On the plus side, they're playing as well as they've played all year, at least over the course of the last month and a half or so. And so I think they've started to crack into that average to above average range with a, with a good pass rush and their coverage is just continuing to tighten up on the back end. So they're really, they, they've been on the upswing for the last couple months, and it'll be interesting to see if that continues against such a great offense. Seth, last one for me. Let's get you, get you out of here on this. In a game that is uh, just a one, one-and-a-half point difference, really good quarterback play, right? we've, we've heard all the matchups, we've been through it. The game within the game could be time management in a closed game. Both coaches have been a little maligned for being aggressive, not being aggressive, clock management. You know the deal with Andy Reid having covering these guys for so long. Will it come down to that in your opinion? And if so, do you give the advantage to the veteran? I think if it comes down to game management stuff, that is one thing that Reid has been a lot better at over the last probably I'd say three years. And, you know, Mahomes cures a lot of ailments, right? Because there's a big advantage where, wow, we didn't handle the clock quite how we should, but we only need 13 seconds anyway, so whatever. Um, that, that's certainly helpful. But I, I think some of those in-game management things, I might give the slight edge to Sirianni just because of his aggressiveness. And when you have as much talent as they do, that aggressiveness often pays off. So if you end up with a game that's on that thin of, an ed- of a razor's edge, I think I'd give the advantage to him, um, which is, you know, a lot of the advantages I think go to Andy with his experience. But in that area, I'd actually give it to Sirianni. Mm. Hey, before we let you go real fast, MVP bold prediction. Do not give an explanation. Just give me a short answer here. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. And that is safety. definitely the safe bet. <laughs> hey, like thanks, it. Seth. We appreciate you. Uh, and have some fun on Sunday. Thanks, Seth. Hey. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys. That's Seth Kaiser, Chiefs analyst for The Athletic. Let's change gears here. Let's talk Eagles now with the Eagles NFL writer for the Delaware News Journal. It's Martin Frank. Martin, good morning. 
Hey, how's it going? Good. Good morning, Martin. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about you guys? Good, good. Hey, we're we're having a blast talking uh, talking some Super Bowl talk here on the show. Uh, and you know, something that I thought about last night when Jalen Hurts came in second in the MVP voting race. You know, some people are still mm-hmm. all out on Jalen Hurts being a good quarterback. I mean, the 49ers roster is one team that isn't holding back feelings right now. Um, and you know, he just he just never gets a lot of credit because of how just well put together that Eagles team is. Do you think the reason for this is because, you know, it, if, if we're talking 49ers here, that, you know, they're salty because of the NFC Championship loss? Or do you think this hate will just constantly follow Jalen Hurts throughout his career because it seems like even if he wins the Super Bowl, he'd be the last person to be credited? Yeah, I, I find it kind of strange because if you look at, like, his – overall body of work during his career um when he was drafted in the second round he played like the last four and a half games you know in place of Carson Wentz who got benched and he only completed like 51 percent of his passes okay well you know it's four games doesn't really you know it's not really a good gauge and the next year you know the Eagles were they started out two and five he was throwing the ball a lot but you know it wasn't very accurate he, uh, you know, they went to a run-based offense, and they won seven of the last ten, and made the playoffs, and he completed like sixty-one percent of his passes. You're like, okay, he's a little bit better, but like, you know, if he's going to be in that upper echelon of quarterbacks, he's got to improve that completion percentage by a lot, and he did. I mean, you know, they went out and got AJ Brown, Devontae Smith is in the second year, Dallas Goddard's one of the better tight ends in the NFL. And he improved his completion percentage to 66.5%. He went 14-1 and one as a starter. I mean, I'm not really sure what else he could do. I mean, you know, when the Eagles needed him to throw the ball, he did. And he beat teams with his arms. When they needed him to run the ball, he did. And he rushed for like 760 yards. So, I don't know. I, I don't really understand. I mean, you know, you look at the 49ers game. You know, he's playing on the sprained shoulder. He doesn't have great passing stats. I think he threw for like 120 yards. But the Eagles won 31-7. I mean, he didn't have to throw the ball in the second half. You know, the Eagles ran the ball 44 times. So, I don't know. It just doesn't really make sense. He's shown all year that he can win either by throwing the ball or running the ball. Um, You know, he's not going to write up the scoreboard like Patrick Mahomes does. You know, Mahomes threw for like 5,200 yards, but he can get the job done. I mean, he's proved that. So I'm not really sure where all this uh, Jalen Hurts, like, disrespect comes from. It's interesting. A guy goes 66%. He's thrown 3,800 yards. He's 22-6 to six touchdowns and interceptions. But let me ask you this, Martin, because his fingerprints, I got into a knockdown dragout debate a couple years ago over Jalen Hurts and whether to spin a second-round pick. And I like winners just because I, I coach for so long. I'm going with guys that are historically win. Hertz is a winner. Mm-hmm. His personality oozes winning. Are you surprised in a city that has a guy like Trust the Process, Joel Embiid, that Hertz has been able to capture the hearts of Philly fans? I know a couple guys I know, Stoll in particular, uh, you can't keep Hertz merchandise on the shelf. His temperament, 
dictates the Eagles. His yeah. his philosophy is embodied in the Eagles. Like, are you surprised at how quickly he's won that city and team over? I am in a way, but like one thing, like a lot of the Eagles players, and and I'm speaking specifically about veteran guys like Jason Kelsey and you know Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, guys who have been there for ten years or more. I mean. Jason Kelsey did not retire because he trusted Jalen Hurts that much. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, look at look at it this way. Uh, Kelsey's been in the league since 2011, probably the best center or one of the best centers in Eagles history. You know, after last, after the 2020 season, you know, when Hurts took over for those last four and a half games, you know, the Eagles were a disaster. They were 4-11-1. They fired their coach. They traded Carson Wentz. And everyone thought for sure that was it for Kelsey. Like, why would he come back? And he did. And he said, because I see the potential in this team. And I see the potential with Jalen Hurts. So, like, he's our, by then he'd already made an impression on veteran guys like that, that he had the stuff, the leadership, you know, to take this team to the level they're at right now. So, when you see guys like Kelsey and Lane Johnson and Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham talking that way about Hurts, then you know you got something special. And I think people in Philadelphia warmed to that once they saw, like, you know, the Eagles rally to make the playoffs last year and then even more so this year. So it's just been, uh, you know, and, and everyone, like, you know, talks about his leadership. Like, just, he's only 24 years old. I mean, a lot of this is, like, incredible, you know. But he did that at Alabama. He, you know, he won the championship as a true freshman. You know, he went, he lost his job. He handled that professionally. And then he went to Oklahoma and, and was second in the husband, took them to the playoffs. So, you know, he has a history of that. You know, it's, it's, it's a body of work, I guess is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. We're talking to Martin Frank, Eagles NFL writer for the Delaware News Journal. Martin, you talk about leadership and you talk about disrespect. Somebody that kind of fits that mold, too, is Nick Sirianni. <laughs> and, you know, after, after the Eagles moved on from Doug Peterson, it was kind of surprising that you moved away so quickly from a Super Bowl-winning head coach. Not to say that, you know, it wasn't the right move. I, Nick Sirianni brings the team to the Super Bowl in his first year. So, uh is that a credit to him being able to handle that sort of pressure, or um, do you kind of side with those that say, hey, he got put into a really easy, nice situation? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, when he took over um, last year, you know, his first press conference, he was like stumbling and awful. You know, he'd never been a head coach at any level before. And I just remember, like, people in Philly were like, you know, who is this guy? Who yeah, did he just hire? Like, he wasn't being interviewed by anybody else. He, were, he was a meme. Um, he, was part of, he was part of memes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and then, like, before the draft, he's telling us, yeah, you know, I play, like, rock, paper, scissors with, you know, draft picks to see what, you know, <laughs> see what they're about. And, like, what? <laughs> and then, like, you know, they start out 2-5, and five and he shows his team a picture of a flower pot with roots growing underneath the ground, you know, and, and everyone thought like, well, who is this guy? You know, what, what's he doing? And then, you know, they end up making the playoffs. And then, you know, this year, 
um, you know, they just take off and people are kind of warmed up to him. They kind of realize, you know, he's fiery. He'll get in people's faces. Um, there was a game against the Colts in November. You know, it was about a week or so after they fired Frank Reich, who was Sirianni's mentor. Sirianni was his uh, offense coordinator with the Colts before getting the Eagles job. And, you know, the Eagles win in the last minute, 17 to 16. And he climbs up onto the bench and he starts yelling at the fans, you know, like kind of like F you for firing Frank Reich. And people in Philly love that fiery attitude. Um, you know, he's done that, like coming off the field during home games and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's he's kind of won people over in Philly. Like at first they're like, you know, who is this guy and what is he doing? He seems overwhelmed. But he's turned it around, and people like really like his, you know, Philly fiery fighting attitude and stuff. It's really played over well here. Uh, you could tell this team is built with Reddick and Edwards to play behind, you know, Flexer Cox and Grams and Hargrave and those guys. But Gannon's done a good job, kind of piecemealing the secondary together, right, with Bradbury and veteran Slay. But you got the young guys and Gardner Johnson and Blankenship. When you look at some underlying keys, man. How important or critical do you think it is is how Gannon, who was also the defensive backs coach in Indy when Sirianni was there, uh, how important mm-hmm. is it that you think that secondary is better outside of the pass rush or are those two things just intertwined? Uh, I think they're they're definitely intertwined because, you know, you look at Slay and Bradbury, both had Pro Bowl seasons, but they don't have to cover – have to cover their receivers as long because the defensive line is just sending waves and waves after the quarterback. Like you mentioned, uh, the defensive tackles, like they got five. Yeah, Jordan Davis, Linval Joseph. Yeah. You got Fletcher Cox and Hargrave. Um, then you got, you know, Domicon Sue and Linval Joseph. And then you got Jordan Davis, the first round pick. So that's like five guys nonstop rotating in and out, getting after the quarterback. Um, you got Brandon Graham, you got Josh Sweat, you got Hassan Reddick. They got four guys who had at least 10 sacks. You know, they came within two sacks of the Bears' all-time sacks record. So, like, you know, and, and it's clear, like, how they do it. They get pressure on the quarterback. They make him throw before he's ready. And, you know, the defensive backs that you mentioned just feast on that. You know, Slay and Bradbury don't have to cover as long. Gardner Johnson can, like, you know, watch guys coming over the middle and, you know, a bad pass, he's right there to pick it off. He had six interceptions and he missed five games. So, yeah, it's it's him and him, definitely. Martin, we appreciate your time today. But before we let you go, if the Eagles win the Super Bowl, no explanation needed, give me your MVP and bold prediction. Uh, Jalen Hurts. I mean, I think that would be an easy one. And I think I predict this, it's going to be a great game, high scoring. I think the Eagles win 37 to 33. Oh, one thank you, ages. Martin. We appreciate your time this morning and uh, enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. Thanks, Martin. All right. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Hey, you know that score right there? It's kind of close to the one that everybody's been predicting on Twitter. I, uh, what? What? Do you know the story behind that? Like, the. I, I've seen it like pop around. It's, it's like a pro football reference score, but it says thirty-seven, thirty-four actually in favor of the Eagles. I don't. Am I crazy? I don't think they score a ton of points. 
What's the over-under set at? I can't read it. Is that 50 and a half? I can't read. Is that 50 and a half? That is 50 and a half. I don't think it goes over. Man, if you, if people are predicting 70-something People think points. this is going to be high scoring. I, I don't. I don't. We'll see. We will have to see. Hey, if you are having a Super Bowl party, maybe you should have these beers on your list. Dear Old Nebraska Brew, the Copper Alt, Dope Juicy IPA, Mosaic IPA. All are from Zipline. All are fantastic. And I'll be having one after the show today. Coming up next, have you been paying attention to storylines? That's what I want to tell you.